Well, you know how usually on Sunday we get together and do the big affirmation of life with the big celebration and the funny jokes and the loud raucous music. And Well, today I'd like you to just stand by our regularly scheduled programming <laughs> has been put on hold for maybe just a Sunday, maybe even not complete a Sunday, because today I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the Inward Journey. Um, some of you know that we even have a nine o'clock service that's called the Inward Journey, and I think this time of year, in particular, with the shortened days, I mean, I'm amazed that we all made it here today, right? Wasn't there that urge to sleep in the extra hour or two? Well, you know what? Nature is actually telling you something. There's a reason for the fact that we seem a little more sluggish this time of year. There's a reason for the fact it seems a little harder to get out. Of, and maybe that's why this, the earlier service had so many fewer people in it. But I think that nature is actually calling us to slow down. Even in this season that seems fever-pitched, right? It's like we have the parties to go to, the parties we're hosting. You know, I was out late last night helping my partner do a dance performance. I mean, actually, we try to pack in probably six months worth of activity into December every year, don't we? And the reality of it is, we're kind of bucking the system. Do you know what I mean? Really, nature says this is the time of year to be fallow. This is the time of year to do that inward journey where we plant the seeds to be fruitful for next year. So the question I have for us today is, are we about doing or are we about being? So let's think on that for a little bit. Uh, I've been using this book called The Mystic Heart. Actually, uh, Reverend Sharon started us out with us last week while I was on vacation. Thank you, uh, Reverend Sharon. And, uh, and what I love about this book, and I in particular loved her sermon last week, is that it really invites us to find the commonness that prevails in all of the major world's re uh, religions. So, so it isn't one of finding what's different. It isn't saying, you know, well, this religious scripture is different than this one, and that's why they're having a war over it. You know, that's why um, this group can't hang out with this group because things are so different. This book has the opposite premise that really 90 some percent of all of the world's religious teachings are teaching the same thing. Now, we tend to highlight that 3%, right? We tend to highlight the part that gets us in trouble, right? You know, where do you go when you die? Exactly. You know, like someone has that mapped out, right? You know, <laughs> what's a sin? Exactly. <laughs> right? Do you know what I mean? We tend to focus on those crazy things that are more a matter of our head than a matter of our heart. Because when we look inwardly, when we look in at our own experience of God, when we cherish those around us and allow them to have their own unique and personal experience with God, all those differences fade into the background. That's my belief. My belief is all the world's great religions teach that there is a God that is a God of love, that is a God of a, a, a vastness of, of encompassing, encompassing what I can't even find the words for it, the grandeur and the bigness that is God. And in fact, that's where I want to start in this book today. The chapters that we're, we're covering this week, it starts out by talking about the actual nature of God. And in my own simplistic way, having been for the first time in my life to a Tupperware party not too long ago, <laughs> uh, I'm going to put it to you in Tupperware terms, all right? <laughs> 
So the very biggest Tupperware container, and believe me, I did not know this, but there are now Tupperwares you can park a car in. I mean really big Tupperwares. No, honestly, they make like storage sheds. Sharon's looking at me, but they make like Tupperware storage sheds now. So picture the biggest possible Tupperware that you can and have that represent God, right? This is the biggest picture of the one mind, the one power, and the one presence than you can. And the reason it needs to be the biggest Tupperware, can, people are still laughing at me. Now you stop laughing at my Tupperware analogy, but well, you know, so I came to Tupperware late in life. What can I say? But, but anyway, this notion of the one mind being bigger than anything you can imagine, even beyond the storage shed size Tupperware, that represents God in this idea, right? And now what's cool is nested inside that, you can have almost an infinite number of smaller containers. And, and Wayne Teasdale in this book said that each of these represents a more localized expression of the one mind. So, so down from the storage shed is the, is the one you know that you can put half the contents of your refrigerator in. And let's say that represents humankind. Those are the thoughts and the ideas, the part of the one mind that all of us humans share together. It's the, it's the nurturing of children. It's the love of life. It's the things that we find beautiful. All of that is the, the human-sized part of that one mind. Then down from that, maybe we can get down even into nations, if you will. I know America has some very different ideas about what the world is like and what humanity is like than people in Europe. A friend of mine who travels uh, in Europe extensively said the thing that she noticed the most was that in America, we have this idea that we need to smell like something that comes out of a bottle. Do you know what I mean? And if any of you have traveled in Europe, you know that men smell like men in Europe and women smell like women in Europe, right? I mean, maybe if, you get a, if you're going fancy out to the opera or something in Europe, a woman might put on some perfume. But otherwise, in Europe... It is appropriate to bathe only a couple times a week and you smell like you smell and that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's just one of like a million differences between Americans and, and other people. So that might be another size of the Tupperware container, right? The smaller one that's just America and then there would be one for England and one for, do you know what I mean? So that each of us would have the common values that we as a nation would hold. Okay, then a smaller one inside the Tupperware that's uh, America, probably maybe a quart size. Now we're down to the size of Tupperware that you all probably have seen before. <laughs> one maybe this size, that would be Oregon. And you might say, well, Oregon isn't any different than the rest of the state. Oh, I got to tell you. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, we raise something like recycling up to a fine art here in Oregon, right? There are all kinds of things that are absolutely unique and wonderful and very personal to just what Oregon is. And then from that, you can get down to Portland, you can get down to your own family, and ultimately the, the little Tupperware that's just big enough for a pat of butter, and they make one, it's just like this big, that one is just you. All of the thoughts, all of the ideas, all of the quirkinesses and wonderfulnesses that spell you out in spades, that's that small little one. But you know what? It's still inside this big one, right? You haven't removed yourself from God. You're not separate from God in any way. 
your thoughts are still part of the one mind. Do you know what I mean? And what I would suggest to you is way more of the one mind than you would often think. Because I don't think really that we're the little butter-sized one and that God is the storage-sized one. I think the size of these things fluctuate a whole lot from day to day, and I think the size and the relationships of these little containers overlap in amazing and beautiful ways as all as well. Um, the book goes on to talk about the other thing that we do is we frequently have experiences outside our own realm. So sometimes I'm thinking, just like Larry, really unique you know, things that maybe only I think. But a lot of times I think like Portlanders. A lot of times I think like Americans. And now and then I rise up even and think in ways that are very godlike, very inspirational in a way beyond just what, you know, little Larry could dream up on his own. And so Wayne Teasdale says, we do this all the time and we don't even know it. We slip out of our kind of local intelligence, our local idea of who and what we are into something much more, much more universal, much more important. And I want to read to you just a little bit what he says about that. Because it's not only just uh, whether we're thinking local, or whether we're thinking reasonable, but also when we slip in and out of actually wearing the mantle and the cloak of the divine itself. Here's what he says. As human beings, our identity is this consciousness that we inhabit and that we are. But our identity is way vast than local awareness. For example, when we feel a particularly deep experience of unity with nature, we break out of our local and regional awareness. This experience, while it might seem rare, is actually quite common. Most of us are inspired by nature at some point, and when we have an aesthetic awakening through a contact with an artwork or touched by a profound piece of, piece of music, thank you very much, um, we transverse other dimensions of our consciousness. In love and intimacy, we discover still another realm of consciousness that is greater than the local or regional awareness. It takes us beyond ourselves, suggesting awareness that envelops us and those we love. Finally, in mystical experiences, we are touched by something ultimate, by a mystery that takes us to transcendental realms. Each one of us is conscious, self-conscious, unconscious, and superconscious. Most of us, however, choose not to be aware or to simply remain in our local awareness where it is comfortable, perhaps even delightful, because it is free of the spiritual effort necessary to inhabit other regions of awareness, right? So what he's saying is, if there's any reason that we tend to be caught up just in our own drama, right? And this time of year, do we ever have an invitation to get caught up in our own drama? It's like right now, isn't it? What he's saying, though, it's really just our own, if you will, laziness from time to time that keeps us stuck and fixated on what's going on instead of who we truly are. Uh, uh, Betty Griffiths, who was a Benedictine mon monk and later in life a Hindu swami, had fun as he would tour throughout the world. Re really well-known and famous guy who did lectures not only on Christianity as a Benedictine monk, but later in life uh, his circle included a lot of Hindu teachings and, and he actually was converted to a Hindu swami. And one of the things he loved to do, whatever city he went in, he would ask people a very simple question. 
where is God? And what he discovered was in the West, the so-called Western part of the world, people would often kind of indicate something like this. The idea being that it was that perhaps God was a higher consciousness, perhaps God is on a higher plane of existence. But the but the sort of motion that usually went with when someone would ask, Where is God? and the person was in um, say England or the United States or in Western Europe, it would be kind of a kind of a that kind of emotion. On the other hand, when he would travel to the east in India and in other places in Asia, most frequently people would go like this. Most people in those part of the world, although they certainly recognize that God is omnipresent, that God is out there as well, in the east it is much more common to people, for people to go here first. The idea that God is indwelling, that our relationship to God, which of course is as close as our heartbeat as our breath, that that's the important part. And so for the rest of our time together today, I want to talk a little bit about the journey that we make, the path that we're on. Because Wayne Teasdale also says that most of us predominantly are on one of two paths. And he even equates it to this eastern and western kind of path. And so let's cover the one perhaps that we're more familiar with first. The western path, which he calls the outer path or the path of action. He says that this path to the divine, we typically acknowledge God in its many forms. And so we see and explore God as nature and works of art, as music. We celebrate God in the harvest, in the rain, in, in our experience of, of dancing and love. And, and you'll see that this is often where indigenous people are, right? It's, it's like they're seeing God in the fruitful harvest. They're seeing God in the, in the winter that, that kills off the things that are not as robust as they need to be, right? So this is that kind of outer look of God. And, and an example here might be someone like Mother Teresa. If you think of someone like Mother Teresa who spent much of her life working with the poor, working with the ill, trying to make their situation better, their, their lot in life, the form of their lives go better. So she might be a, a lovely example, I think, of someone really devoted to service, really devoted to that outward look of improving the world and doing God's work in that way. Contrast this, though, if you will, to the inner path and Wayne Teasdale calls this the way of contemplation. Here you would have more experience of God through meditation, <coughs> through releasing the importance of the ego. Um, really, you would be wanting to let go of the forms rather than improve them. And instead, you might be, uh, find yourself doing a lot of meditation, journaling, visioning, activities that are more inward-focused. And his example here was Paramahansa Yogananda, someone uh, kind of famous here in America likewise, that really spent his entire career teaching people how to meditate, teaching people how to go within to find a closer relationship to God. All right, well, I have good news for you. Wayne Teasdale says that both of these paths to God are absolutely valid, absolutely important. No one in here is doing anything wrong. Whatever your existing spiritual practice is, it's like, yes, good. And he would also say that from time to time, we need to take a look at it and see if it represents a healthy balance between this inward focus and this outer focus. And so that's what I'm asking us to do today. In your own mind, 
think a little bit about how you approach God. Most of us in this room have some kind of a spiritual practice. And I, and I had one time someone after the service came up to me with her hands on her hips and says, I absolutely do not have a spiritual practice. And, and you know, kind of like, prove it to me. And so we talked a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that she did every morning was she took her dog out for a walk about 20 minutes out in nature. And then we did a little more talking, and what I found out was that she volunteered at the Oregon Humane Society. And I said, okay, I can see where we went a little askew here was our definition of what a spiritual practice is, because obviously this woman, in my mind, has a beautiful spiritual practice. She's out in nature for a minimum of 20 minutes a day, experiencing the love of, of the universe out there and her dog, and she has that loving, giving heart. It's absolutely, service is a spiritual practice. And so what I want us to do when we talk about our own spiritual practice, think of it in terms of anything that gets closer to a power just greater than yourself. That I think is my definition of what a spiritual practice is. So it's everything from holding babies and going for a walk in nature. It's about creating and singing a beautiful song. It's, a, it's about keeping your yard looking nice. Do you know what I mean? It's being in contact with something outside of your ego nature of just wanting stuff and, and thinking about work. Do, do you know what? Do you have a sense of this? It might be singing. It might be dancing. Anything that when you're doing it, you kind of get blissed out. These are all spiritual practices. Okay, so, so that's the framework here. Now I want you to think in your own life then, about what spiritual practices you have going for you. Now, some of them might be the traditional ones like prayer, like meditation. They might be ones like journaling. They might be ones like um, just sitting in the silence. I know the idea, in fact, of a coffee break for those of you who have kind of the nine-to-five job. The, the real idea of a coffee break wasn't so that you could just become more caffeinated. The idea of a coffee break even was that you could literally kind of shrug off the craziness of your workday and kind of sit in the silence for about 20 minutes. That might be your spiritual practice. So think of them, what they are right now, and try to think of them in terms of this inner and outer awareness. Is it about the doingness or is it about the beingness? Is it about doing God's work or is it about accepting God, really understanding and holding God close in our heart? Is it about the, the kind of wildness and busyness is it about the inward journey? And all of these, all of these are appropriate. And the idea here being that if we have a balance in them, if we're not just about doing, 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 and neither are we the Swami that sits in the cave with his or her own idea of truth never to emerge, right? Neither of these are good. <laughs> I mean, the Swami may be blissed out in the cave, but how is this wisdom ever going to get out into the world, right? We're here in these bodies for a physical purpose as well. So somewhere in this middle ground between doing and being, somewhere in this middle ground between the contemplative life and also being the hands and the form of God, 
I think it's where most of us will be our happiest, where most of us can find this relationship to God that just makes our hearts sing. So how do we balance this? How do we integrate it? Well, one of the things that the author of this book pointed out too, Mother Teresa was an amazing meditator. She may have been out at the hospital for, you know, 14 hours a day, but she also meditated for four hours a day, every day. And likewise, um, Paramahansa Yogananda, you know, spent much of his career teaching meditation and the inward journey. But did you know he also wrote music and played in a band? (laughs) So I think this is what we're striving for. This is how we want to be able to approach God in a more meaningful way, is a balance between this inner and this outer approach. I want to close with another reading from the mystic heart here. Every form of mystical spirituality makes a distinction between the contemplative or inner experience and the outer realm of active life, of service to others, of compassionate witness, and of merciful deeds. Yet the spiritual journey, when it has reached its fullness, unites these two realms of experience. The active and the contemplative are integrated within each person's consciousness. They converge, and they are understood really to be one path. When we have cultivated a subtle spiritual awareness, no separation between the inner road and the outer exists. And people who have reached this kind of contemplative awareness carry it with them into all life situations. All activity becomes redefined by the power, by the truth, by the depth of what each of us has become. So ultimately, our path is us. Ultimately, the truth of exactly who we are, our own uniqueness, our smallest Tupperware container, also has within it our unique approach to the divine. And that's as it should be. In balance, full of love, full of life, full of that ability to look both inward and outward and see the divine. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is that thing which I call God. And as we talked about God being the extra large sized Tupperware container, what I know is that God is without limit. God is every person, every place, everything, every situation, both the inward journey as well as the outward forms, all of it, all of it, my friends, is God. And I know this means me. I know that that my little Tupperware container is just as firmly planted in the great sea of the divine mind as anything is. My God is my good. My God is my path. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person in its own individuality is part of this one path, this one joy, this one life, this one mind that is God. And so on this day, I affirm for myself and each person in this room that there is a willingness and ability to see God both within and without. There is an increased awareness of our spiritual life and a a self-awareness of our spiritual path. I know that each person here is perhaps a little more willing to take a look at both the inner and outward forms of making a spiritual journey and an openness to try new things, maybe to try meditation or, or to balance anyway this journey of awakening. 
And I am simply grateful for this. I'm simply grateful in recognizing the, the spirit and the triumph of God in each and every person that comes in these doors. I am gratitude. I simply let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.